This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 647 with Leah Carey. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 647. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Hello, shameless moms. Quick warning, this episode is explicit, it's graphic, we're talking about sex, and there's your warning. (laughs) There's your warning. This is maybe not a great one with littles. I will let you use your own discretion, but that's the warning that I wanted to give you before we dig in. We have a fabulous guest here today. I'm so grateful and honored that Leah decided to come and share her story on the show My goodness, what a story she has. So Leah Carey is a sex and intimacy coach and the host of the podcast, Good Girls Talk About Sex. She works with people eager to explore new avenues of their sexuality and fulfill their greatest desires, like diving back into the dating pool after a long time away, or having a first-time queer experience, or investigating consensual non-monogamy, or learning how to communicate about kink. This work was not an obvious life choice for Leah. Growing up with an abusive father, she learned how to be a very, quote, good girl. She got involved in a series of emotionally abusive relationships, always convinced that she was the problem, not pretty enough, not smart enough, or sexually skilled enough. And because she wasn't having pleasure during sex, she was convinced she was broken. At the age of 42, life threw Leah an opportunity to build a new story. 
both of her parents gone and no siblings, she could put aside her family mythology of the good girl. And she began challenging her own beliefs about worthiness, attractiveness, and desirability. Watching her phenomenal growth, friends started seeking her out to help them do the same. Today, Leah works with women just like you to reflect their true sexual nature back to them without the judgment, shame, or fear that can get in the way of seeing it for themselves. She will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. Her clients sink so deeply into their true sexuality that the old version of themselves that was scared to speak up for their needs feels like a mirage from another lifetime. This was obviously a deep and juicy conversation. So listen in to hear Leah share how growing up in an alcoholic and abusive household shaped her sexual identity, the challenge of healing trauma and overcoming sexual repression while her parents were still alive, the road trip that led her on her journey of sexual awakening, how her work with a sex worker was so healing and transformational, how going to a sex resort and actually not having any sex completely changed her relationship with her body for the better, why connection and safety must trump sex even in trusted long-term relationships, why libido is likely not the issue holding back sex and intimacy in your life, why moms are touched out and what to do about it, and the current cultural shift in acceptance and normalization of sexual identities, practices, and frameworks. Oh, so much goodness in this conversation. So I'm going to stop talking right now so that we can dive in. Please join me in welcoming Leah Carey to the Shameless Mom Academy. Leah, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here. I'm so excited to talk with you, Sarah. Thank you so much. So I have to tell listeners, we met I was going to say recently, it doesn't feel that recent anymore, but we met a couple <laughs> months ago at a live event for that really brief moment in time where live events were a thing, like they yeah. were a thing for a minute and now they're not a thing again. And hopefully they'll be a thing again soon. <laughs> <laughs> Someday, hopefully it was actually that minute when we even allowed each other to see our faces. <laughs> like, yes. It was yes. an amazing moment of fresh air. <laughs> it was. Oh my gosh. It was. Yeah. yeah. So we, it was so much fun. So we were at a podcasting conference together. And I made so many amazing connections at that conference. And I was laughing before we hit record about just like my whole day to day is interviewing or being interviewed by people I met at that event. <laughs> and this is like my third day like that, where I'm like, oh yes, another friend from She Podcast Live. I love so that. <laughs> it's so much fun. And it feels like such a gift to have had that opportunity to make those connections. Yeah. So as we dive in today, I want you to tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now in this back in this weird space that we're in. So I'll tell people we're recording this in the middle of January and it won't go live for a few weeks. And so who knows where things will be at when it goes live <laughs> in this moment, what are you excited about? Well, I think the line between excited and terrified mm. <laughs> is right up in my face because I'm currently working on my memoir of my oh. journey of sexual healing, which is what we'll oh be getting gosh. into today. Yeah. And I'm on the cusp of having to write my first sex scene. <gasps> and I am absolutely terrified. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. But that's like the thing that makes you equal parts nervous and excited is the thing that you must do. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, I can feel myself gearing up. Like everything in my body is gearing up to be ready to sit down and do this thing, but I'm not there yet. And I'm mm. like, I don't know if I can get there, but I know that I will. Yeah. It's yeah. that like really weird place. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's very exciting. I, but I also understand the nerves. 
<laughs> yes. I mean, anything in memoir writing is nerve wracking for sure. I actually last year, one of my pandemic hobbies has been taking a memoir writing class and oh my goodness, it is like so cathartic and so yeah. amazing. And I'm, I'm not doing it right now. And I miss it tremendous. I just emailed my teacher to be like, I'll be back soon. I miss <laughs> it so much. So, but it's scary. It's like a very vulnerable thing to just do memoir writing, let alone sex life memoir memoir. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was thinking before we got on, cause I knew you would ask this question that the scary piece of it, it, trying to relate it back to how scared I was to have that first sexual mm. experience on yeah. the journey. It is nowhere near as scary as having that first sexual experience was, but it is definitely getting all of my nervous system on alert for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to dig in to all of the things with your sexual identity, which is going to be, I know this is going to be so fascinating to our listeners. And what I'm suspecting is that people are coming to this conversation to be a little voyeuristic, to be like, what are they going to talk about? Like, I just want to go spy on that convo. And I'm suspecting that they're going to see pieces of themselves represented throughout this whole conversation and probably have some big ahas around their own identity. So I really hope so. Yes. All of you can brace yourself for that a little bit, get excited. (laughs) (laughs) And that is exactly the reason I do the work that I do because I needed it 10 years ago and nobody was doing it. I mean, thank you in advance. Thank you in advance for everything (laughs) you're going to bring to us today. So before we get into this shift in your sexual identity, I want to talk a little bit about the timing or the, and this experience of losing your parents, because Mm -hmm. as I was reading through the content you sent me in your bio, I was noting that that was significant, that the loss of your parents was significant and the shift in identity for you when you no longer had to uphold an image of yourself to your parents created a new space in your life. And this is relatable. I think, especially for anyone who wants to write a memoir, you're like, do I have to wait for everyone to die first before I tell all the stories? (laughs) Exactly. Yes. (laughs) About losing your parents and that identity shift. Yeah. So first of all, to go all the way back, I grew up in a home with alcoholism and it was actually an interesting combination. My father was an alcoholic. My mother was a teetotaler. (laughs) Wow. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And in his alcoholism, my dad was emotionally and mentally very abusive to both Mm. of us. He was also really sexually inappropriate. And I make that distinction because it did not, for the most part, include putting his hands on me, but it was a lot of emotional sexual inappropriateness. So Mm. he would talk to me sexually about my body He would talk to me about his sexual relationship with my mom and how unhappy he was with it. He would speak to other women sexually in front of me, and he would speak to me about other women sexually. So it was really confusing. And in the midst of all this, he was also telling me around the time that I hit puberty, he started telling me that I was getting fat and unattractive. And that boys wouldn't like me if I didn't have a perfect body. Plus, he was telling me that he had to lock me in my room until I was 30 and break the kneecaps of any boy who looked at me. Oh my gosh, that's so So, confusing. Yeah, it was like from all sides. So am I so unattractive and so undesirable that no one will ever want me? Or am I so attractive and so desirable that I have to be protected from everyone who wants to pillage me? Yeah. You know, like, wow. 
And so my response to that was just to shut down any sense of my own sexuality mm-hmm. because it didn't feel safe. It didn't feel safe for me to experience it. It didn't feel safe for me to express it to anyone else because I would potentially be putting them in danger. So internally, I was still completely boy crazy. And eventually over time, I would become girl crazy too. Mm. (laughs) But externally, you would never have known. Like I didn't flirt. I didn't googly eyes. I basically didn't speak to people who I was attracted to because it was just too scary. And it wouldn't be safe. Exactly. Yeah. And in the midst of this, my mom is telling me, you know, you're beautiful. You're wonderful. She was saying all the right things, but I couldn't hear her because my father's voice was so much louder. Yeah. So I didn't have my first relationship and my first, you know, serious relationship until I was 25, which was the first time I had sex. And over those next 10 years, I chose a series of relationships with borderline abusive people Mm. because I thought it was all that I could get, you know, like if people aren't going to like me, if I'm undesirable, if I'm unattractive, then I should settle for whatever is available to me. And these are the people who are available to me. Mm. So that's sort of the landscape in which I was experiencing my sexuality up until my early 40s, I believed that I was fat, ugly, no one would ever be interested in me. I completely discounted anybody who was interested in me, like any decent person (laughs) who showed up and was interested in me because they existed. Mm -hmm. I discounted them as like, you are not okay because you're not smart enough or not perceptive enough to see how broken I am. Mm -hmm. So why would I want to be with you? You're obviously crazy. So I settled for the people who would validate for me how broken I was. So my dad passed away back in 2000 when I was 26. And you would think, oh, wonderful. He's gone. Now you can like go out and free things. Yeah. But I became the one who perpetuated his voice in my own mind. Mm -hmm. I was so, you know, a few years ago, right before I started my sexual journey uh, or sexual healing journey, I became really obsessed with memoirs from people who had escaped cults. And I couldn't figure out why I was just reading these like one after another, after another. And it was a while. It was like a couple of years later that I realized, oh, it's because I was to some degree brainwashed by my father and I needed to hear other people's stories who had gotten out of situations that were vastly worse than mine Mm -hmm. so that I like proof that it it could be done. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So my mom and I were best friends. She was my person. You know, we lived 15 minutes from each other. We saw each other several times a week. But she passed from cancer in 2015, which was devastating. And at the same time, it allowed me to start looking at who I had built myself into and make some different decisions. Not because she had ever told me that I was fat or ugly or any of those awful things, but because there was this 
view of myself, this persona that I had created as part of that family life as a child that Mm -hmm. I had remained loyal to as long as there were people who knew me that way. Right. And as soon as the people who knew me that way were gone, I had the opportunity to make some new decisions. And uh, you were saying before, like, do I have to wait until everyone's dead to write my story? Like I say this to people and their response is, oh my God, I don't want to have to wait until everyone is dead. Right. right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. And I want for people to not have to wait until everyone is dead. I hope that in hearing my story, you'll realize you don't have to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever. And your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you. And you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer endocrine system disruption and liver toxicity which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special unique and important in terms of how they are able to filter water they also have water purifiers to fit every type of home so like the installation free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options they even have wi-fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options so i'm so excited about our new AquaTrue and here's the thing I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners, can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. I'm curious if 
so that loyalty to your mm-hmm. mom and to that, the family unit, in spite of the trauma, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. And I'm also curious if there was a level of protection for your mom and for that relationship that didn't allow you to move forward completely until she was gone. That's such a great question. Yeah, I think that is true. My mom and I had a, when it came to talking about sex, she wanted to, and I didn't (laughs) Mm. because I was scared. I felt so broken. It was so uncomfortable, but she had also come out of As I think back now and read between the lines of all the stories she told me, she was also really seriously sexually repressed. Mm. And so like when I went to college and I was in a college town where there were a bunch of sex stores, she was like, I'm going to visit you and you're going to take me to the sex stores. And I was like, no, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even go to those on my own. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, you know, If my mom had been alive when I went on this sexual healing journey, and I say that word journey because it literally involved a road trip. If my mom, which is what I'm asking you about next. So people are like, I'm going to need to know about this. Yes. (laughs) Go ahead. Go ahead. If she had been alive when I did this, she would have been losing her mind. She would have been so scared all of the Mm. time for all of the places, you know, the situations I put myself in, but I absolutely know without a doubt that she is wherever she is thrilled that this happened. Not only cheering me on, I actually think she's the one who set a lot of it up. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love that. Totally. Yeah. That that gives me goosebumps because that's such a healing grounded way to make peace with like that relationship and how that relationship gets to continue in your life. I love that so much. Okay. So you describe yourself as being in the state of sexual repression through your early Mm forties and you lose your parents. What change allowed you to finally have an awakening and tell us about the journey? Yeah. So when my mom passed, I was living in Northern New Hampshire, rural area. And I was there because that's where she lived. And I wanted to be close to her. As soon as she passed away, there was no reason for me to stay. And I had the great good fortune that she owned her home. So I was able to sell her home and have some money. And I decided it took a, you know, it took some time for all of this to settle out and to settle the estate and all of that. And during that time, I was working with a therapist. And at some point, the therapist said to me, like, so what are you going to do next? Because you don't want to stay here but what are you going to do? And we, I came to this idea that she then helped me flesh out that I was going to take this money that I had gotten from selling mom's house and give myself a year to travel around the United States. It would be a solo road trip. I had no plan, no destination, no, you know, like I wasn't saying on this date, I'll be here. And on this date, I was literally just following my nose. I had never done it anything like that. I've yeah, that always been, yeah, I've always been I'm very controlling. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And my sole expectation of that trip was that I would find a new place to live mm. that at some point I would get somewhere and be like, this is it. This is where I want to settle in my final session with my therapist. 
I just, I have to laugh at myself every time I tell this story. In my final session with my therapist, we had, you know, we're getting toward the end and she said, we have 15 minutes left, basically before you go on the road and we never see each other again. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Is there any last thing that you want to talk about? And I said the one thing that I had not been saying to her during the year that we had been working together, which was, I don't have sexual sensation during sex. Is there anything we can do about that? Oh my God, I'm dying. (laughs) This is the epitome of every conversation with every therapist where, and I talked to my really good friend about this recently, where I'm like, I can spend 47 minutes doing small talk. And then in the last three minutes, I'm like, what I want to bring to the table today is exactly (laughs) three minute conversation. (laughs) You are not alone. (laughs) This is how therapy works. Yes. (laughs) I was telling this story to somebody and they were like, oh, that's what therapists call the doorknob movement moment. Totally. Totally. (laughs) I love it. Throw it out there really quick. If you could give me like a 30 second tip on this and then we'll go. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I say this to her and God bless her. She did not laugh at me. She said, well, that's not my area of expertise. Also, God bless her for saying that because the vast majority of therapists are not trained to deal with sexuality. Mm -hmm. And so if they try, it can get into some kind of gnarly territory pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. She said, this is not my area of expertise, but you're about to go out on the road and I bet you'll be traveling to cities where you could set up an appointment with a sex therapist and have this conversation. I didn't know that I needed her permission to do that until I had her permission. And suddenly I was like, oh, wait a minute, I could go see a sex therapist. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It turned out as I started traveling that I realized I had been in and out of therapy my whole life. I was so tired of talking. Yeah. What I really wanted was somebody to put their hands on my body Mm. and to see if I could feel it. And so when I got to New York City, because you can find anything in New York City, (laughs) (laughs) I had done some research and I had come up with this term tantric massage. It was something I had not heard of before, but what I was reading, women were talking about how they were having sensation for the first time, they were regaining vaginal sensation and functioning. And I was like, well, that sounds like what I want. Yeah. So I found a woman and to be very clear, it's so important that people hear this. This woman is a sex worker. People who do this incredibly healing work are sex workers. Mm -hmm. They deserve not only our respect, but our adulation, Mm. because there are not, for the most part, other people in this world who are doing this kind of work. So I found this woman. And can I ask a follow-up question to that? Absolutely. Because I think that's a really important point. And I want to make sure that, because this is not my area of expertise, I want to make sure that I understand and help other people understand. So when you're saying that, is this someone then who has a certain kind of training to do this or lead you in this experience in a way that is safe for you and healing for you. If you're looking for healing to come out of it and work along those lines. Right. So does she have a certification in sex work or in sexual healing now, but she is trained in various forms of sexual healing. If people are hearing this story and you want to sort of pursue it further, I would say, pay really close attention to how 
the people talk about their work. If it's all sort of like, I'm going to help you have your best orgasm ever. That's probably not somebody who really knows a lot about what they're doing Mm. versus like the reason that I chose this woman was she had some really concrete stuff on her website about, I'm going to meet you where you are. We're going to help you sort through the issues that you've had. Here are the kinds of work that I do. Now, I also need to say that I was doing this in 2017 and the rules about talking about sex online have been significantly changed. There's this whole thing. It's a law called SESTA-FOSTA that happened in the United States that's having ripples all around the world and clamping down on how people can talk about sexuality on their own websites. So some of the stuff that she said then, she might not be able to say now. But yeah, pay close attention to what people are saying and really listen to your gut about whether somebody sounds safe and feels safe to you. So anyway, I did a three hour session with her. She asked me in advance, do you want this to be totally external or do you want to have some internal touch? Which yes, (laughs) for the question you are asking in your head, that (laughs) does mean vaginal penetration (laughs) with her fingers. I said, I'm probably only going to do this once. So let's do the whole thing. Mm. And were you scared? I was terrified. I was absolutely out of my mind, terrified. Mm. I was scared to see someone who is a sex worker, because I wasn't sure what that meant about me. Mm-hmm. I was scared that she would do whatever she was going to do and then come out at the end and be like, oh, sorry, you're broken. There's nothing more I can do for you. Yeah. I was so scared. And probably the most, like the touching part was important, but the more important part was at the end of the session when she sat me down and she said, you're not broken. Mm. Because those were the words I needed to hear. And I know there are a lot of people out there. They're why did she just skip over the touching part? (laughs) 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 The touching part was challenging for me because I have a history of dissociation. Mm. There's three hours is a real long time. Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) And we talked for a while at the beginning of that. So it wasn't a full three hours, but it was probably all told about an hour and a half of actual touch. But, you know, there's a lot of it that I don't remember because I dissociated. Mm. Wow. And there are some pieces that I remember that were delightful, like her just sort of running her fingertips over my back. Mm. When it came to being face up though, and her having access to my breasts and to my genitals, that's when things get super fuzzy for me. You know, that's really funny, not funny, but Mm. interesting when you, I was imagining if I were to go into the situation, I was imagining laying on a table face up and how incredibly vulnerable and exposing that would feel. And that's like exactly the position that I was like, kind of like, oh, hell no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you <Yeah. know? laughs> being face down, like I'm imagining being on a massage table, like face down with my face in the cradle kind of a thing. I'm like, okay, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Like face and up is very different position. Totally. And when I do, because I am involved mm-hmm. in a community now, I mean, during COVID it's way different, but mm-hmm. I'm involved in a community where we have touch events mm-hmm. and I always start face down because I need to have that security 
of getting back into my body and feeling safe and feeling out the energy of the people who are touching me. And sometimes I never turn over Mm. because I'm just not ready in that moment. So anyway, so she had you face up, (laughs) she had me face up and she had told me in advance that, you know, some people might orgasm, some people might not, but that's not the point. Like the point is to experience touch. And I was like, oh, well, I have a hard time orgasming. So that's not going to happen. And then Mm -hmm. I did. And I have to tell you, it was not a pleasant experience because it felt like the only way I know how to describe it is it felt like there were shards of glass in my clit and that they sort of exploded into a bazillion tiny more shards of glass. And I started crying and I sort of, I kind of melted down, which is why I'm so grateful that I was with somebody who had so much compassion because she was able to hold me and be with me through that breakdown and then come out of it later and say, here's what happened. Your body went through the orgasm process. I understand that you didn't feel pleasure, but your body physically went through all of the stages of orgasm. So I can tell you that physically you're not broken. Yeah. There's still some emotional stuff that needs to be cleared out, but you can do that. There's nothing wrong with your nervous system. Yeah. And that was life-changing to have somebody say that to me. That makes, that makes sense. So then I went out, you know, on the rest of my trip, this happened at the very beginning. And I I started looking for opportunities to experience touch. Mm. And for a long time, that did not involve intercourse. I learned how to set boundaries, which was like a thing I had never heard of before. I didn't know boundaries were allowed. I thought, oh, well, you start making out with somebody. And once you give that first, yes, then it's just kind of whatever they want goes. And it turns out, oh, hell no. Like (laughs) you can make boundaries that you can reiterate at every moment of the sexual experience. And that's true, whether you are with someone who you've been married to for 30 years, or you're on a first date with somebody. Yeah. And I like started having these wild experiences. I had a threesome. (laughs) I had several threesomes, actually. I went to a sex resort in Jamaica by myself for five days. Oh my God. And (laughs) that, I know. Now I think about doing that by myself and I'm like, what the hell were you thinking? (laughs) But I went there thinking, oh, maybe I'll have some sexual experiences, but I didn't. I didn't touch anybody while I was there. Oh my gosh. This is so interesting. So if one goes to a sex resort, Mm -hmm. I would assume that like the rules are you have to be engaging in like constant sexual activity. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Right. (laughs) Yeah. So no, not at all. Explain going to a sex resort and not having sexual experiences. Yeah. So, well, first of all, I wasn't there with a partner or with other people who I knew. So there was no expectation that I would be having sex with a bunch of people. I would assume Um, that the broad expectation was that like everyone was having sex with each other. Yeah. So (laughs) I don't know if people were, (laughs) (laughs) there were a lot of people having a lot of sex and I saw a lot of it because it was (laughs) happening out in the open, but I found a hammock 
And there's at this place, it's called hedonism in Jamaica. There's a quote unquote prude side, which is clothing optional and a nude side, which is no clothing whatsoever. And I got there and I completely freaked out. I was like, I shouldn't be here. I don't drink because I, you know, my family history and I, I don't feel good when I do. So I'm like, I put myself here. I can't even drink to take yeah. the edge off. Oh my like gosh. this was stupid. Yeah. Um, that sounds really stressful. It was incredible. It was awful. I just wanted to run away. I was like this. And there was a, a mirror on the ceiling over my bed. Oh my, <laughs> I was gosh. Like, oh my God, I shouldn't be here. But I was messaging with some friends. And one of my friends said, just remember you're not trapped. Like you can leave anytime you can book a flight out tomorrow if you need to. Mm. And it was that permission to leave that let me stay. And so I found a hammock that was on the nude side of the dividing line, but wasn't all the way in party central. (laughs) It was sort of (laughs) in the quieter part. And I literally sat in that hammock for five days and read a book or read a bunch of books and watched people walk by. And because I was on the nude side, nobody had any clothing on. So I had the opportunity to look at all these bodies because my assumption is everybody who goes to a place like this looks like the people on their website. They're thin, gorgeous, blonde, white, you know, Mm -hmm. like they look like the model, right? It turns out that people with all types of bodies go to sex resorts, Mm -hmm. people with all literally very, very large. And I'm just looking at the women because they're the ones I'm comparing myself to very, very large women to very, very skinny women to, I saw women who use walkers. Like there were people Mm -hmm. there in their (laughs) eighties. I was not expecting that. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm looking at my own body, you know, because I'm expecting people to be like, nobody wants to see all your rolls and cellulite, like go Mm -hmm. put your clothes back on, stay inside. Mm -hmm. Nobody said anything like that to me. In fact, I saw them looking at me with some heat and desire there. People were pretty good with boundaries. So I was only sort of hit on a couple of times by people Mm -hmm. who I was like, ew, go away. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I realized that my body is just like everybody else's body. Mm -hmm that there's nothing particularly different or interesting about it, either negative or positive. We're all just bodies. And that every single person there had somebody looking at their body with desire. And I'm imagining that was pretty transformational. That was again, completely life-changing to realize that no matter what shape or size my body is, there is somebody who wants to touch me, who wants to look at me, who wants to be with me. And it is true for every one of you listening, Mm -hmm. no matter what your body shape or size is, there are people who want to love you. Such an important message. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is 
around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. I want to ask you about, speaking of our listeners who you just addressed, <laughs> um, I want to ask, I know that so many women are dissatisfied with their sex lives or maybe like, cause I think being like knowingly dissatisfied is one layer. Mm. I think also being like just ambivalent, like nah, mm -hmm. <laughs> is yeah. another layer. So, and I think, and especially with moms, when we are just busy and life is moving at rapid speed, we are either like too tired to rock the boat, yeah. too overwhelmed and distracted to rock the boat, or maybe just too nervous and uncomfortable and maybe even afraid to rock the boat by asking for things to change or by kind of bringing things up with a partner to say like, Hey, I'm curious around, like, how do you feel about the state of things? Do you want more? Mm -hmm. Like what's your level of satisfaction? So can you talk a little bit about why that is? And then how we can start to talk about where we're at with our sexual identity within a relationship without throwing the relationship into crisis? Yeah. So I want to take us back to how we were brought up and I'm going to talk about a primarily heterosexual interaction here, but same sex and relationships across the gender spectrum have similar dynamics. So let's think about a little girl who is brought up with the messages as the vast majority of us were to be pretty, to sit down and be quiet, to take care of everyone else first, to not really have a lot of needs. If you have some needs, don't speak about them and maybe don't even know what they are. Like this is 
even in really progressive homes, this is the sort of culture that we grow up in. Yeah. And it permeates us. So those of us who are brought up as little girls have all of these messages about take care of everybody else first and don't have needs. Mm-hmm. And, be who, and be good. And be good. And yes, good little girl. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and aren't you pretty? Like mm-hmm. those are such loud voices. Over on the other side, little boys, people who are brought up as little boys get messages around, don't ask any questions, just know how to do things. And, you know, this is why men don't ask for directions mm-hmm. <laughs> because they're supposed to just know this is part of our cultural conditioning. Mm-hmm. They are supposed to just know without asking questions because asking questions makes them weak. Mm-hmm. So now we grow these two little people up and put them in a bedroom together. (laughs) And one of them doesn't know how to ask for what she wants, doesn't even maybe know what she wants. And her only job is to please the other person. And the other person in this interaction doesn't know how to ask for input and is afraid that if they do ask for input, it makes them weak and undesirable. Mm-hmm. That is not <laughs> like that is not the recipe for a good sexual interaction or even a functional relationship. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yeah. So the reason that so many people don't know how to talk about sex is because they don't know how to communicate yeah. about a lot of things. So where I start, you know, when I'm working with clients, I don't necessarily start with them in the bedroom saying, Hey, let's, you know, whatever, have a threesome or let's get a little kinky. I start with, are you touching each other when you're both in the kitchen and you walk past the other one? Do you like put your hand on their lower back? Mm -hmm. Like what level of intimacy do the two of you have? Because sex is not just about banging. It's about having that ongoing sense of comfort and safety and intimacy. And then we can work up to what do you really want and how can you talk about it? Another part of the problem is that we're told, well, just say what you want, just say it, get it out. Mm -hmm. But if we're saying it in a way that the other person can't hear it, that's not actual communication. That's just kind of spilling. And if you're super repressed, you probably don't know what you want. Oh my God. Exactly. So to be asked, like, just say what you, or just, you know, just to jump to that place of like, just say what you want is like, you don't know. It leaves you feeling broken. Yeah. Because, oh my God, I don't even know what I want. There's something so wrong with me. And that's why when I work with clients, again, one of the first things we do is talk about what do you want? And if you don't know, that's okay. Here are some ways to figure out what you might want, how to to practice, to get ideas, because it turns out most of us do know what we want. We've just never really been asked by somebody who was willing to be patient enough Mm -hmm. to get to the answer. So often, and again, let's, this is a heterosexual interaction. So often what happens is the man says, what do you want? And the woman hears, what can I do to you in the next 30 seconds that will make you feel kind of taken care of before we get to what I want? Mm. Well, that's not actually, again, that's not the basis for a really healthy sexual interaction. 
what I need personally, I'm not even going to get to sex with you if we can't have a really good conversation Mm -hmm. so that I feel really connected and safe. And that's with my current partner who I've been with for almost four years. You know, Mm -hmm. like we don't just jump into bed any old time. I'm not that person. I'm somebody who just, even though I've done a ton of healing and work, I still need my traumatized little inner girl still needs to feel safe and taken care of before she's willing to take her clothes off. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Can we talk a little bit about moms and libido? Yes, please. So so you say that moms struggle with libido. And I mean, there's like a million reasons that we could theorize why this is, you know, because we're just tired and overworked and exhausted and all of the things. But you say that when we talk about libido, we're just addressing the wrong issue, the wrong problem. So if libido isn't the the thing, what is the thing? Yes. (laughs) So if we think about everybody has a basic touch need. So like when babies are born, they need to be held or they go into a condition called failure to thrive. It literally Mm -hmm. helps to knit their neural networks together. I think we sort of have this idea that maybe as we get older, we need less touch. It's not true. We are conditioned out of believing that touch is okay. You know, like little kids hear, oh, don't cuddle with your mom and dad. That makes you a mommy's girl or, you know, a daddy's girl or whatever. So at some point we stop having that kind of touch with our parents over time. Then we stop having it with our schoolmates, especially little boys, because they hear, oh, well, that makes you gay. Mm -hmm. So girls have a little bit of a different situation because we still get to have like slumber parties and we braid each other's hair and we do each other's nails. So little girls trains. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh my God. Like you line up four people and the person at the front totally wins because they don't actually have to give a massage. (laughs) And the person in the back is screwed because they don't get one. (laughs) So yeah, we have this wide vocabulary of what touch means that little boys don't get. They basically just get sports and sex as ways to have physical contact. So then we grow up and we still have this touch need. And hopefully that gets met in your primary relationship. But then a baby comes on the scene and the baby needs 100% of your attention. Mm -hmm. They need 100% of your cuddles. They need everything. You are And it's not just a baby, a toddler treats your, you know, a baby, you're a feeding station, a toddler, you're a jungle gym. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like your body is one of their primary ways of getting their touch needs met, which means all of your touch energy is going out to someone else. Right. And then your partner comes in and is like, Hey babe, let's have a special date night on Friday. And you're like, screw you. I don't want any of that. And then we blame that on low libido. No, what you have is a lack of energy because Mm -hmm. all of your touch is going out and it's not getting replenished. Yeah. You also have a touch need. You need somebody to touch you in ways that are fulfilling and satisfying for your nervous system. So I work with people around like, how do you get your touch needs met by your partner so that it feels like 
there's touch coming in that fills your tank. Mm. Because what happens is I talk to women all the time who come to me and say, I have a low libido. I just don't ever want sex ever. And I, after we drill down for a couple of minutes, I come to the question, is it true that you don't want any kind of sex? No, actually I, I do want sex. I just want it to be a different kind of sex. Mm. Almost to a person. That's the conversation. We do want to, moms still need touch. They just need it to look and feel different so that they're not constantly the ones feeding everybody else. They need somebody to feed them. That totally makes sense. I'm curious if you think our culture is shifting in its acceptance of a wider range of sexual identities, practices, frameworks. And what's interesting to me if you would have pitched me on this conversation six years ago, when I started yeah. the podcast, if, be, if I would have got, if this would have landed in my inbox, like this woman, she was sexually repressed, but she went on this road trip and she went to a sex worker. And then she went to this like sex resort. And I would have been like, hell no, like, no, no. <laughs> and in contrasting that when we met and you told me a little bit about what you did, I was like, Oh, I want to learn more. Like there could be space for this conversation, but I I wanted to make sure that like you were qualified, not that you wouldn't be qualified to share your own story, but like qualified to talk about it in a way that could be supportive and, you know, and safe, honestly, like safe and supportive community. But I wasn't like, Oh my God, no, we can't talk about that. And I also will tell you that I have seen without, because we're, as we're getting shorter on time, I want to be conscientious of how long I, the details I go into, but when my husband and I met, we had friends, we, in the first few years that we were dating, we had this group of friends who were really tied into the burning man community. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, there was like a whole bunch of shit that went down and (laughs) we were like on the periphery, just kind of watching it all. But I remember explicitly having multiple conversations with my husband saying like, what is happening? They have no boundaries. Like everyone's sleeping with everyone, although most of them were married. And I remember say, like we were saying like to each other, thank God, we don't even have to have conversations around our boundaries. Like we already know that we are not into the, like mm-hmm. what they're doing and blah, blah, blah. And we just were like, that's crazy and weird. <laughs> and what's been interesting in more recent years, we're still not involved in any of that, but <laughs> as I watch other people exploring relationships in different ways, and I follow a few people online who are polyamorous, I've gone from this, like, what the hell to, oh, huh. Interesting. Like I kind of, I'm curious to know more, just like, I'd be curious to know more about like, you know, two men are getting married and I'd love to know more about that story. Mm-hmm. Like things where that culturally we used to be like, uh, that's not okay. And now we're like, oh, this, for some people, this might be the right thing or the best thing. And so I'm seeing this normalization around different sexual identities, practices, frameworks across communities. And I'm curious if you're seeing a shift in that as well. And if there's just shifting in normalization around it. Yeah, absolutely. So none of this stuff is new. Um, but I'm a nerd and went to Catholic school my whole life. So it's a lot of it's very new to me. Okay. Yes, exactly. So, and that's why I want to say that, that none of this stuff is new. There have been transgender people throughout time. There have been gay people throughout time. There have been polyamorous people throughout time. Like none of this is new. What is new is the internet. 
Mm-hmm. Because before this, people were in their own tiny communities feeling like, oh, I have to hide because there aren't other people like me. Mm-hmm. And then the internet comes along and those people find each other and they suddenly have a louder voice mm-hmm. and it feels safer to begin to express all of that because they're not the only one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so there are a lot of terrible things about the internet, but that is one thing I'm incredibly grateful for is this ability for people to be who they are and find other people like them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that creates space for, I mean, it creates space for people to show up, you know, in their true identities, but I'm imagining it also uh, creates not imagining. I see that it's creating <laughs> space for a lot of healing as well. Yes, and I mean, you've absolutely. given some really powerful examples of that. Yeah. I mean, every time that I see, and I've been reading a bunch of YA books lately, the young adult books that are focused on different identities. And I think, oh my God, kids today, again, they have to grow up with the internet and social media. And I just think that is got to be so hard, but they also have examples of things that we didn't have growing up. There were no young adult books about questioning your identity or questioning your sexuality. And that is a great blessing. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell us how you're currently showing up shamelessly in this world? Which is a really funny question given our whole conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But like anything else you want to add to that? I know that what you usually ask is, how are you showing up as a shameless mom? (laughs) I was like, well, I'm not a mom, but I deeply believe that in order for the next generation of kids to grow up with a better understanding of their sexual identity and less baggage than people of our generation have, what needs to happen is that the moms need to get healthier because kids might look at what you say or listen to what you say, but they look at what you do and how you act mm-hmm. and they soak in what you believe. And so one of my major goals in life is to work with moms so that the next generation will be healthier and not have to deal with as much unlearning as we do. Absolutely. Absolutely. So along those lines, can you tell people how you work with people, um, how you can support folks listening and all of that good stuff? Yes. So please come listen to my podcast, which is called Good Girls Talk About Sex where I interview everyday women. And that does, that includes everyone who was brought up as a little girl, regardless of how they identify as an adult plus transgender women. Mm -hmm. So, and those are just conversations with everyday people about what their sex lives look like. (laughs) So this is the conversation I wish other people had been having 10 years ago, which Um, I love because it's like that voyeur. It's what what I talked about at the beginning, like kind of being voyeuristic and then being like, oh, maybe this pertains to me. (laughs) Totally. And that's exactly it. Like I get so many messages from people saying, thank you. I didn't know I was like, I was thought I was the only person who felt like this, or I learned something new. I didn't know that this was a thing we could try, you know, like, so I love that. So that's good girls talk about sex on any of the major podcast platforms. If you're interested in working with me as a coach, you can find me at leahcarey.com, L-E-A-H-C-A-R-E-Y 
goodgirlstalk.com. And I'm on social media at goodgirlstalk. Awesome. Okay. So one of the things I want to say that you did such a beautiful job at the, you did this in your intake form for this conversation. And then before we started to record is asking for permission, asking for boundaries, creating safety. And I think that's a really important thing to address when I'm going to say like, Hey, anyone who has questions, reach out to Leah and you know, continue this conversation because I'm doing that because in good consciousness and because of how you've modeled this in this conversation and in our conversations behind the scenes that I can see how you take care of people and that you lead with like, how can I make you feel safe here first? And how can I meet you where you're at versus like, I'm going to make you go to a sex resort next week. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's really important that we acknowledge that piece of it so that people who are like curious and have more questions, just know that you are, that they are in good hands if they wanted to follow up with you. So thank you so much. I really appreciate you calling that out. And I think it's really important to also say that if you want to be having so much more sex than you are right now, cool. If you want to be having so much less sex than you are right now, that's cool too. And I will work with that as well. Mm, Yeah. So we will have everything linked up in the show notes. If people go to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode with Leah Carey and Leah. Oh my gosh. Thank you for being here and being transparent and vulnerable and open and bringing, there was a lot of layers in this conversation. I mean, like we started with trauma, (laughs) but you you were able to, with all of that and the weight of the conversation also just create these really beautiful moments of learning and growth and also some levity at times. And I think that that's like, that's where the magic happens is when you can tap into all of that. So I'm just, I'm grateful for the work that you're doing and really grateful that you were able to bring some of that work here today. Thank you so much, Sarah. I've loved this conversation and uh, I'm really grateful to have had it. And you have to come back and tell us all about the memoir when you're ready to promote it. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) It would be my pleasure. I cannot wait. (laughs) Thank you so much, Leah. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review. That will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be Shameless Mom of the Week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. 
Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.